what, what, what I'm looking at is the way that we have um, implemented community um, outreach in our church is basically what we're looking at tonight. So um, if you were here this morning, then some of this stuff I'm going to go over again just to give you an understanding of where we're coming from. Um, but some of it I won't. So um, one of the first things, I usually like, like to have my thing right here. That's all right. So I'd like to be in touch. Um, so one of the things that um, uh, is really important is the, is, is the fact that I don't, I don't believe in off-the-shelf packages for churches, and I don't, I don't really agree with it when you, you find things like Willow Creek and they say, have this module, and you pick it up and you apply it in your church and you'll be 26,000 like us, because actually it doesn't work. Um, what I am keen on is looking at what are biblical principles and how are they outworked in our culture. And so a lot of the stuff you're going to hear is outworked in different places for us, both in cities. Joe and I have worked in cities in terms of churches and in rural areas. So obviously Teesside has got the combination of almost the feel of both of those, um, so fits in quite well with the different sort of aspects of your groups. Um, in a nutshell... It's, um, it's to do with cultural change in the church. So what, what we would say is that there are no, um, we've got no little techniques for you to be able to pick up and run with that will, change, that will change the way that your church outreaches or that will see more people saved. But what we've looked at is a complete cultural change in churches. So the, one of the worst things that, I, that happens when I, when I do this talk, because I've been doing this talk in churches for a, a while now, um, all sorts of churches which want to grow that haven't been growing for a while, they, they usually call us in and we come in and we talk about this because it's an aspect which churches have lost over the years. Um, uh, but one of the key things of this is that it's what they actually asking is that I go through this and I say it's this bit, we do this bit, we do this, we do this, we do this, and I say, oh, well, we're doing three of those, six you've just said, therefore we're okay. But actually they're missing the point. It's not any one of these things, it's the fact that we culturally change the feeling and the thinking of what's on people's hearts. That's the key element of it. So it changes the way that, that people in church look and view things from um, a what I would say is a church perspective to a biblical, biblical perspective and a Jesus Christ perspective. So on, the, on this side you've got church, on this side you've got biblical and Jesus Christ. Now, why I separate the two is because church has really given us a traditional model of, of building, um, of outreaching, and for us, we feel that that was going slightly wrong, and so we are back into the Bible to see what does it say in the Bible, and what does it say, uh, what does Jesus Christ do, and how does Jesus Christ outwork that? And obviously, you see that again in, with Paul as he's outworking it in the New Testament. There are lots of little things that, that come out there. So, what I'm saying is there's no package. Key, key um, um, passage, a uh, key scripture that keeps me grounded is Psalms 127.1 and this is it, it's just a, one, a complete one-liner one which is absolutely rock solid and should be foundational in everything that we do in church and that says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. So whatever I say to you here, I'm talking about what's in scripture, I'm talking about the heart of Jesus Christ in this, it's not me and I can't build your church in fact, Raj can't build, build your church. He just can't do that. What, but what we're looking for is what does Christ want to do with this church? What is in the, in the Bible for this church? And that's what, that's what we look at. So, um, where did it start? This started, for us, it started really in Manchester. 
and uh, we were looking at the way that community was being built there. And uh, Joe and I, uh, we were on. Uh, well, I was on on the leadership team of of, of that church plant, um, which is now the one that Jeremy is in has taken has taken over. And uh, we built. We were in charge for a while of um, small groups, which is building community. And we looked at it and we took on something which, um, for us, was revolutionary. And so we, 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 people said to us, when you took it over, they said, well, why don't you do a small group to, um, uh, why don't you show us? So, so we, we started a small group off ourselves and um, it quickly grew from about eight people to about 16, 20, 25 people. It just grew really rapidly. And I remember us being in the living room of our house in Manchester and it was full of people. And uh, we were worshipping uh, one, one evening in a, like a, a small group meeting. We were worshipping. And as we were worshipping, I had this out-of-body experience where I was lifted up and I was fl- and our ceilings were very high, probably higher than this one, maybe the same, who knows, really high. And I was floating on the ceiling, looking down at everybody worshipping. And as I was looking down at everybody worshipping, the walls of the room just collapsed outwards. Boom, 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 like this. And I just felt God say... I want you to build a church where there are no walls and no boundaries for the people who want to come into it. And so what that meant for us was then we went back, looked in the Bible, what does that say? What are we looking at here? What are we trying to do? What, what, is, there, what is not there at the moment in, ch- in terms of church? And to change the way that we approach church to look at something which was not new in any way. In actual fact, it was actually very old. It was biblical in that sense. So um, what we saw was the church being built, and I think this is really going back maybe a 1,000 more, 1,500 years, who knows how long this has been going back, where church has been built solidly on the Bible, doctrines that are in the Bible, and, um, uh, and Jesus Christ as a cornerstone, all this really good stuff, and then realizing actually over here is the world and the lost, and then trying to bridge the gap between getting the lost in into church. And then uh, particularly over the last maybe 50, 60 years, maybe 100 years, even going back to the Wesleys, 150 years, you're talking about how did they bridge this gap to get the lost in because church was so solid and so rock solid here, and they were trying to draw people into church, bringing people into church. And we looked into the Bible, and we really didn't see this as being the pattern for, for church. In the, in the New Testament. Well, what was happening was church was being formed, but the church was still within the world. So the church itself within the world was bringing people to salvation and then therefore bringing them into church, as, in, as we would know it. Because ultimately, theologically, we would say you cannot be a member of church unless you're saved. Yeah? That's, 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 a, that's a fact. Because ch- the church is God's church, that's his people, and his people, his adopted family, are the ones who are saved. That's a fact. Um, there's no getting around that. And what we are looking at is how do we bring the lost into, the pl- into a place of where they are part of God's family and are adopted into there. Um, so this is what we're looking at. So uh, some of the things that were, um, were, were wrong, which we felt were wrong, were things like... Um, uh, themed small groups, which we felt, uh, which I've, I've changed my opinion very slightly on those now, but we felt that what they were, ga- were aiming at was aiming at a, a subject to bring people into church 
and inter interconnection with community rather than a community living in the world and out, out living it. I think I've changed my feeling on that slightly now, but even so, I still wouldn't be happy with wholesale themed small groups in, in one of my churches, although I would be happy for individual small groups to be feel, 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 to be um, uh, to be built around something that was going on. So for example, these two guys have just been talking about a men's shed. Um, I don't know if any of you understand this, a men's shed, which is where guys go to and they just they get involved in things and it's where, where men do things and it's just, a, it's just it's a really exciting project to be involved in, but actually could even end up being a small group within the church, as in the church central. And I, I like that sort of thing. And to be honest, what you guys are talking about is reaching a generation of men which the church is failing to reach. Simple as that. And in fact, we've got a generation of, of, of women of that age group whose husbands are not safe. So it's more than not just reaching them out there. We're not even reaching them in our church, connected to our church. So I, I, I love that. And I think there is, there is room for that. But it, essentially, if you're, although it's, it's built around what you're doing, what these guys are going to be doing in that room, you're still building relationships. So in the end, you're looking to say, actually, are these guys going to be my friends? And that's what you're, that's what you're looking for in that. So we looked at things from uh, in church uh, from the top down. So we decided what we needed was a wholesale cultural change in the whole of our church. So what we did was we looked at everything to do with our churches and we said, is this, does this either one, is it a barrier to people coming into the church, connecting to church? Is it welcoming and exclusive into the church or is it neutral in that sense? And what we were looking for is to break down all barriers and make it easier for people who are the lost to mix and become part of church. So we looked at absolutely every decision that's made in church in, that, in the light of that, in the light of the lost. So even things like the name of the church. So we always, whenever we're starting a church, and I always talk, talk to my church planters about this, we choose a name which the lost around you can associate with or understand that's a church. So I wouldn't choose the name like... Um, G Jesus Christ of the second coming, Emmanuel, Jehovah, Messiah, blah, 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 which actually they don't really understand and they can't really grasp. And it's no good even choosing a really wacky name and saying, well, um, uh, to be honest, um, uh, it, what it does, it provides them, it allows pe people to ask questions. Because that's just not a good angle to go with. You don't just put out something which is confusing and then say, we're only doing it so they come and ask us questions. Because actually, mostly they don't. Because what they do is they take one look at your church, they look at the name, and they say, I just don't, I don't understand what that's, that's a weird name for a church. That must be a weird church. That's what they do. So we go for things which are... And then likewise, we would do the same about our small groups. So we always call our small groups small groups because they're related to a small group of friends. And that's part of our cultural change. And I'll talk to you a bit about that because that is quite relevant to what we do. So we would never call them life groups. We would never call them small groups because... We do call them small groups. No, sorry, we never call them life groups. We never call them cell groups, I said, cell groups. Because what we're looking for here is a whole aspect of a community that is built within the world. Which means that what we're trying to do is we're trying to open up our Sunday mornings to the lost. We're opening up our our small groups to the lost, we open up our community to the lost so that the world and church become so connected like this. Now, this might be worrying some of you, and it can be worrying. 
So um, I remember saying this to her in, in Lancaster. When we started off in Lancaster, we had this guy who came from a Baptist church background, and he said, I, I, I'm really unhappy with this because what, if we do this, then we, we'll end up with, with half the people in the church not being Christians and half, or even more than half not being Christians, and then, the, and then they're going to they're gonna dictate the flavor and the culture of the church. And I said to him, if we get over half the people in this church uh, as, as non-Christians being in this church on a Sunday morning, I will be so happy. I will be so pleased because you have a field to preach the gospel to. It just doesn't happen. It's a, it's a battle to draw the lost into, into our, the way that we live so that they can hear the gospel. And that's our aim. So in everything we're doing, is it's not about just how do we draw them into church. It's how do we display Jesus Christ to them. That's the key thing. Because at the moment, they don't see Jesus Christ. And if they're ever taught, if you, if you were to hear what they teach about things like Jesus Christ, about biblical principles in school, even religious education, religious instruction lessons in schools, if they still have them, in schools, then you would be shocked at what, what they hear. So it's all taught as a philosophy or, a, or, an, or an imaginary subject, unless you, uh, your children are really fortunate enough to get a born-again um, teacher. And those are not very many, and some of them, in fact, we know some who have been disciplined in religious instruction lessons for teaching the real Bible and, and, and teaching truth. So the, the schools, we, are no, we don't live in a Christian country. We do not live in a Christian country which does not teach our children Christian values. There is only one place where the world will see Jesus Christ in, its, in, his, in his true glory and in truth, and that's within the church which means that the only place where Jesus Christ is displayed in that way is in the church. It's with you guys here, sitting in this room. Now, actually, you can say there are going to be the really odd case of the odd person who has a dream, goes to bed one night, has a dream, and sees Christ come in a dream, and then gives their life to Christ. We know people like that. But it's so, so rare, and actually, that's not what we see in, in, in the Bible as God's plan A. God's plan A for the world is that the church demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God. It demonstrates the glory of Jesus Christ. It demonstrates who Christ is through the fact that Christ has impacted us and that Christ lives within us. So we change our Sundays. So our Sundays change so that we have um, uh, the whole of our Sundays change to what we value most. And what we value most is, is being able to see people saved, community and seeing people saved. We don't do away with preachers. We don't do away with spiritual gifts on Sundays because we love those and we think that's who we are. So we won't change our public meetings to take those out. We just think it's wrong. But what we do like to do is make it very easy for someone who's coming and visiting us and being part of us and coming into us to feel comfortable and, and like being amongst us. So what we've done is we've moved our, a tea break time, a tea and coffee time to the middle of the meeting. Do you have them in the middle of your meetings? What we found was tea and coffee breaks at the end of the meeting, what happens is that the majority of lost, I speak from personal, personal uh, testimony here, as someone who got saved at 26, I was a chartered accountant before I became a, a, a church leader. I, I went into church, and for the first however many months, I, the guy would stand at the front and say, we're going to have tea and coffee now, uh, and we're going to have cakes afterwards. Please hang around with us. We'd love to have a chat with you, blah, 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 and I'll be whoom, and out and gone and I'll be out of the room before anyone could do it. Now, actually, you get some people who do, do stay, but very rarely, and usually the ones who do stay have been ones who've been in church before, and they're out, or they're in, they're out, they're in, or they've visited churches before. I was out and gone and disappeared. I didn't want to talk to people. Why would I want to talk to people? I don't want to talk to you lot. You're weird. <laughs> but I was interested in church. I wanted to find out about Jesus. 
So what we, Joe and I visited um, a church, um, Jonathan Bell's actually in, 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 in Birmingham, and he did his coffee breaks in the middle, and we said, Jonathan, why are you doing this? We don't get it. And because the big question about doing a coffee break in the middle is, well, when we get to the preach, it's great to do it straight after worship because people are in the zone of meeting with God. Guys, if you have got to have a full corporate worship before, you, before your people get into the zone to listen to the word being preached, then you've got problems with your church. Because actually they should be able to go home, read their Bibles, and, and understand that God speaks them straight away when they open their Bibles and speak to them. So what he said to us is, what we like to put it in the middle is because what we're doing is we're giving a, a platform a, a platform for hospitality, the spiritual gift of hospitality in our church, so that when people and visitors come into our church, they don't, they would run away at the end. At the start, there's not enough church people around. The visitors come early at the start, but there's not enough church people around to speak to them. So we do it in the middle. We give 15, 20 minutes in the middle, and you've got a platform for hospitality because the lost are there amongst you, and everybody's mixing amongst them. So this is what we do. We will do that. And we have a tea break in the middle. It is a catch point, if you like, to then speak to the lost and draw them into the community of our church. And then what happens is that our church is so keyed up on this whole culture is that they are invited back to dinner. So two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had a couple come into our church, young couple, and um, the leader of the church and his wife, I, I spotted them at the back and I said, look, I said, the, the new couple in the church, why don't you go invite them to dinner? He said, he's speaking to the leader uh, of the church. And he said, yep, I'm going. he went straight down to the back and asked them to, to come to dinner. They were like, this in the, remember this in the tea break before the preach. And they're like, this is weird. He doesn't even know us, but he's inviting us back to dinner. And this is going to be so inconvenient for him. No, I'm sorry, we, we, no, no, we're already busy. And then, and so, so that was the end of that conversation, or, or the conversation finished, tailed off. And then the next couple that came up and spoke to them in the same tea break, invited them back to dinner. Then the next couple. And in the end, they thought, everybody's inviting us back to dinner. We're just going to say yes. And they just went back with someone to dinner. And now, through that, have joined our church. The leader, the guy who leads our church, joined our church because, because of being invited back to dinner by somebody in our church when him and his wife walked into the church and saw how friendly our church was. I struggle on Sunday mornings to go and speak to people because every time I turn around to the guests, there's usually about five people queuing up to go around and see them. Not smothering them, not being weird, but it's just really hard to get to them because our, our church is so geared up. So we do not do professional welcome teams. We just don't do it. I don't like it. I don't think it's healthy for our church. I don't think it's healthy for the people who are visitors. The reason why I don't think it's healthy is because if, I, if I've got a team with a badge or a sash or, or even with that just mentality, what they're doing is a job. What I want is people, a church, which is going to offer genuine friendship, genuine relationship to the people who come into our church. So the value of hospitality is all about loving people, caring people, and relationship. It's not about taking their name and address and email address so I can do a follow-up letter. It's not about just saying, how you, how, you find the meeting? It's not about that. It's actually about relating to people. So our whole church is clued up. So our welcome team is the whole church, and it works. So the only welcome we have in our church is some people on the door who say hello and greet. But that's it. That's where it finishes. It's just a greeting at the door. Um, and our church loves doing that. But the real welcome, it's not the real welcome. It's just saying hello at the door. It doesn't create relationship. It doesn't do what we really want it to do. What happens is at the tea break time in the middle. And so the whole of Sunday morning becomes a platform for hospitality and joining the church and becoming part of the church and relating to the church. And when I talk about joining the church and relating to the church, I'm talking about non-Christians as well. Now, theologically, remember I said, people can't really be part of a church unless they're saved. That, that's a theological fact from the Bible. 
but what they can do is become part of the community. So our aim is to draw them into friendship and community. So we have the church, and then we have the community of the church, which is this big. Yeah, And so we try to break down the barriers between church and community, which I'm going to show you in a minute on a diagram. So that's our aim, and that's why we have tea break times in the middle. So our whole Sunday mornings is orientated towards the lost. Go. It can be so that so that well yes because it got them, got them to go to dinner and didn't it's yes but the problem the problem is if you are asking your whole church to do that then you're going to get that many people are keen to go and do it it wasn't five times maybe it was about three times maybe four maybe four um, is that a good thing it works with them and it works with most of our people the reality of it is the people who come into your church mostly are people who are lonely and they're looking for a relationship. So Bill Heibel says that people coming into your church will look around and they will make a decision on whether, whether they want to be in your church within the first three to five minutes. And what they do is they're basically looking around your church and saying, are there people in here who can be my friends? So we, as church elders and leaders, we like to think what they're doing is they're coming in and they're thinking, is the worship here good? We like to think, is the preach good? No, actually, what they're looking at is, can I find a home here? Can I call this these people family? We actually visit a lot of churches because we come and do things like this. So actually, it's a really, really good practice to now and again go and be a guest somewhere because it helps you to remember how embarrassing and awkward it is when you walk in and you don't know anybody, and you don't know what the rules are. You don't know what your kids are supposed to do. When they're so honestly, the times that I have been worshipping and looked around and all the kids have gone, my kids are still here, I didn't notice. <laughs> uh, actually, it is a much worse problem to have nobody speak to you than it is to have three invites to dinner. Uh, if that is your biggest problem, then I don't think you've got anything to worry about. Um, uh, what you don't want, if you've got a tea break in the middle, is poor souls sat there with nobody to talk to them. That is really awkward. Move your tea break back to the end if that's what's happening because that isn't doing you or anybody any favours. Actually, it has to be a cultural change in your church. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't work. You can't just move the tea break. As Rob was saying at the beginning, you can't just take, oh, there's a good idea. Let's put a tea break in the middle. It is a good idea, but only if it's part of a whole culture change. Otherwise, it's just really embarrassing and painful. Sorry? How long is the About 20 minutes. About 20 minutes, yeah. But it's a fight. Let me just say it's a fight. Yeah. Um, so if any of my church people listening to it and my church leaders, it's a fight. So what happens is sometimes worship extends. Sometimes a preacher comes and says, oh, I want to just, can I get five minutes extra because I need to, or, or can the notice just go on a bit more? And it's like, so this, and the easiest thing, everyone just devalues community. That's the thing that's being devalued. No, the word is, is holy. Worship is amazing. It's, it's in the presence of God. Community, mm, actually community is the heart of Jesus Christ amongst people. So we have, a, we, have a, we have a two hour meeting. Yeah. But so normally most people would say have an hour and a half meeting with a 20 minute break at the end or something like that. That's where they would work it. So we do it the other way around. We take the 20 minute break and we put it in the middle. Um, so it, it can be an hour and 50 minutes to two hours. But then. 
it finishes and people hang around and talk and we have to throw them out because the caretaker needs to lock up. <laughs> in the end, in the end, we have to encourage people to go home. Um, they can talk outside or they can, or actually, really, a lot of people are running to Asda to get their ready-raised chickens. <laughs> Uh, and to whip up some extra pasta because they've got too many people coming for lunch. Actually, if you've got if you've invited guests back, you're giving them some quick directions and going off to get the food ready. So it actually works out not too bad. One of my friends, oh Portia, anyone who was here this morning has already heard about Portia. Um, was she told me a, a story the other day? I'd been we'd been speaking about this subject in church, and she said that. Um, I needed to hear this story so I could share it and help people because you're exactly right. You can think I've got to do something really nice. And she was sat there on a Sunday morning and really wanted to invite her family back. And in her head, she was thinking, what have we got in the house? We've got pie. That's what we were going to be having, but it's not enough for this other family as well. What can I do with the pie? Well, the right answer would be pie and mash, wouldn't it? She was saying to herself, pie and mash. You can feed people pie and mash. Unfortunately, we haven't got any potatoes in. The only thing we've got is rice. I can't feed them pie and rice. I can't feed them pie and rice. That's just wrong. That's just how, how embarrassing would that be? I can't feed them pie and rice. She said, I know what I'll do. I'll pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, <laughs> what should I do? What would you feed these people? And then she heard herself. Fish and loaves. And she went and invited them back for pie and rice. <laughs> because she, she heard herself out loud. It's not a real question, is it? Of course you can feed them pie and rice. Actually, you can feed them beans on toast. She just didn't have any beans. All she had was pie and rice. So that's what they had. They had pie and rice. Actually, it's the hospitality it's the love, actually. It's the relationship that's much more important than, than whether it's beans and toast. You're absolutely spot on right. I just want to answer this, this joke first because I thought that joke was, was actually quite poignant. So the joke was you kick people out because you value community. So being ironic, yeah? Well, I was actually, they're all gathered at the end because yeah, you value community. Ah, okay. <laughs> but let me just say community does we don't really believe that com true community takes place in meetings. It just doesn't happen. So when you go to church on a Sunday, um, you will speak to people, but you will only have a certain number of minutes, 15 minutes or so. That's community up here. Where we value community is down here, is where people really know who you are. They really know what's going on in your life. They re you really share your life with people. You don't get that chance on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning becomes a shop, a shop window or an entry point into your community. So that, that tea break time in the middle is an entry point into getting to know you guys and getting to know Jesus Christ within you if they're lost. Yeah, so that's why going back to dinner is an entry point into community. You cannot, on, a ch on 20 minutes, have someone go up to someone and speak to someone and, and do community with them. Unless, you, unless your belief is that community is two inches deep. But we don't. We believe it is, it is, it is re relationally very deep, real community. May I just add, while we're on this topic, if you are at all considering moving your tea and coffee break into the middle, the other cultural change you have to make is this. No church business in the coffee break on a Sunday morning. No saying in your head, I'll, I'll talk to that person. And no thinking, oh, I need to speak to Raj about that. I'll grab him in the coffee break. No, no, no. No. No thinking, I need to rearrange my kids' work. I need to do a swap. Well, I'll do it in the coffee break. No, 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 no. You can't because it's gone. 
it's really, really actually, w when you really think about it, you'd be really surprised how much church business we do uh, after church. All these important conversations that we need to have. I need to talk to so-and-so about that, so-and-so about that, so-and-so about that. You, you have to really not do it. And actually, it's usually, it's usually you guys, it's the leaders, um, those with responsibility that are having those kind of conversations because life is busy and there is a good opportunity to do it. Don't do it. It's very naughty. Don't do it. Sometimes I do it. It's naughty. I know it is. If I am going to do it, I really genuinely do make sure that all the visitors are being spoken to first. And if I really can't get to talk to a visitor, then I might think, all right, I can actually just have a quick word with that person then. But I've got my eye on the visitor. Uh, will it, uh, I'll, I'll leave that conversation to go and talk to them. Let me, let me just say, you, you can't, you're not going to find tricks that are going to make your church work better or your community work better. That doesn't exist. This 20-minute tea break is not a trick. It's not a... Uh, an add-on to your church, which will make your church change overnight. That's why Joe says it's got to be part of a culture. We, we, you look for a cultural change over the whole thing. So what we would say, our Sunday mornings, there are no style. We don't do anything to a particular style on a Sunday morning. We have no style on our Sunday mornings at all. We don't do anything. Um, so um, our style of a Sunday morning will be certain, will be this sort of style. We'll do it in the style of... Uh, maybe it's very community orientated, or it's very this, or or it's a style of maybe a Bill Hybel style church, or a Bethel church, or a, or we're picking up things like that, and you can feel it in, in us. We don't do that. What we do is we say that every single thing we do is a a direct result of what what are our values as a church, and what our values are is a direct result of our theology. So let's take the tea break as an example. So we put a tea break in the middle because our value is loving community. And loving community comes from our theology on uh, a, a, a group of people who love each other like Christ does. You have to have good coffee and you have to have donuts or some other good... None of these soggy rich tea biscuits. I'm not suggesting that you have soggy rich tea biscuits. I'm saying that Jumble Sale Church is not hospitality. Actually, investing in nice coffee... To, good cakes or something, some kind of actual hospitality, yeah? It's saying that we value, so we have donuts. They're pretty easy and most people like or them. Or other cakes, cookies. Or other cakes cookies. or whatever, but something nice, something that isn't like a, a bit embarrassing and cheap, something that actually is saying we actually value people. We're going the extra mile, doing something a bit nicer. If you have custard creams and rich tea biscuits, that's what people expect from church. If they see something nice, they think all of a sudden, Oh, this church is good. I like it. I like it here. And you're not trying to win them with those things, but what you're trying to do is honour the person with hospitality. That's what it's about. It's reflecting something that you value. And it's also saying we understand the world out there because we now live in a coffee, coffee shop culture. That is everywhere in England. There are, there's coffee shop owners in here, isn't there? We live in a coffee shop culture. Our, our whole world knows what coffee shops are. They know what a good cup of coffee is and a bad. 20, 25, 30 years ago, and good cup of coffee would have been Nescafe, gold. Um, you remember the ads, some of you, if you're old enough, of, of, of them. But now, but now we live in all these different coffee shops and, and, the, and the style of coffee. So I, the first thing, I, first thing I do is if I go to visit a, coffee, a, a church and they're doing instant coffee, I say, you, you just, the world just doesn't see that anymore. So we always have, we've got a massive coffee urn that does fresh coffee and produces 100 fresh coffee cups in, in one sitting. Um, and then we've got other ones which do about 25 cups 
in Kendall, in, we do, do about 25 cups and we do coffee. We do coffee twice in Kendall, once at the start of the meeting for guests coming in the door and for the welcome teams because we want to honour and our setup teams, we want to honour our setup teams, our band come in early, we want to honour them, but we also want to honour the guests who walk in as well. So we do two coffees, we do these coffee with these machines which produce it, uh, 20 cups in six minutes, and then we've got the, the big ones that do 100, uh, it takes 45 minutes, but they can do 100 cups. So we, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's all, it's all just, you know, little bits and bobs. But to be honest, what we're doing here, what Joe is saying here is that it, it's our value of hospitality, which comes from our theology of, of hospitality, which we're going to get into in a second. So everything that, everything that we do in church now in this total cultural change of relational outreach comes from this value of relationship and relationship between us and relationship between the lost. And in each of those, we love like Christ. So you love each other like Christ because Christ is in you and he has changed your hearts to love in a different way. You love in a different way because you have seen somebody die on the cross for you. And that is love which is immeasurable. That is love which goes so deep you can't even understand the depths of it. And you felt that. So now, now you understand how to love other people, both your brothers and sisters, but also the lost. And this is the glory of Jesus Christ which we have to show them. That and the fact that Christ is risen again and is alive for them and waiting for them. So... We asked this question, and I, can, I feel safe to ask it here. How many of you were led to Christ through either, and I ask this quite a lot, this question, through either a family friend or a, sorry, a family member or, or a friend? Okay, so how was you saved? So was your minister your friend? I hope you don't have people in your church who say that. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But church members, what we're saying here is church members. So that's, that is us. Whether it's friends, family, that is us. That's the same thing. So anybody else who said, who said no? So how was you saved? Great. Great. So it does happen. We do find the odd one or two that do. And you? I was dragged along to a meeting for a wife. By? By a pastor of a church. The wife was in bed ill. And his car was in dock, so I was asked to give him a lift. I got dragged to this meeting. And Colin Arcart spoke. Oh, Colin. Good old Colin. So another one, which wasn't really relational, but was still being somebody from church who dragged somebody in. Ultimately, it's through relationship, or it's through somebody in church, actually taking somebody along to something, which is what yours was, which is what yours was. Um, ultimately, that's what we're looking at here. So this is why we move to relational church, and that's why we believe that a relational outreach is much more important for us than other forms of outreach, like project outreach, like street outreach, like fun days, things like that. We believe that relational outreach is because the vast majority, and we are looking at well over 90% of this room, who have come to Christ through that. And it's, it's usually always through somebody who is, is in the church. And when I say in the church, I don't mean the church building or the church meeting or the church organization. I mean as in a Christian, God's church, the invisible church.
to be in a church which says, no, not, no, what you can't do is you can't put an alpha and say no one comes, therefore our, our people aren't relating to the loss, because that's not true. Because actually, the, the process of relating to the loss is actually can take a quite a long time for each individual. So for example, you may meet three guys, uh, wherever you've done a pub, work, whatever. You might meet three guys, but it might take you a while before you could ever bring them on an alpha course. Maybe years for some of them. Maybe some of them never. So you can't just really rush that and say, because no one's come on the alpha course. So you've got to be careful about completely going, oh, well, no one cares about the loss in our church because no one comes on alpha. That's, that's rubbish. But actually, if, you, if your church constantly fills its alpha course with people, but none of them come through the church, then there is a massive problem, I think, with that church. Because the Bible says that the lost live amongst them. So let's dive into it. Acts 2, 2, 242 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. and to the, So this is the early church, Acts 2.42. You know this passage well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. The key phrase in that, I like in that passage, is now everyone goes for, oh, the apostles' teaching or the wonders, all this miraculous stuff, the prayer, yeah, let's get down to prayer. And actually, they, they, they miss all the little bits about community, about eating in each other's homes. And they just think, oh, well, th this is the main thing that's happening, the spiritual stuff that's happening. The eating bit, oh, that's just what they do to, to have sustenance, to live by. And therefore, our tea break is just a break in the middle. A tea break. It's just a tea break. It's not, and it never is, and it never was in the, in the New Testament. So here, you've got, uh, you've got people living in each other, eating in each other's homes, and then at the end of it, it says, enjoying the favour of all the people. That means all the people around. So what we're saying is, how did, how would you as a church have the favour of all the people who live around this church? Say you was all living in the same five streets, because there's a bit more squash then, because the communications were different to what they are now. You know, travel's different, communications are different. How would you have the favour of all the people only by having them know you, coming through your life, seeing what you do, seeing what you're about, seeing what you talk about, seeing what you care about, and then saying, do you know what, we like what we see in, these, in this group of people. That's having the favour of all the people. So what we're seeing here is the things where it says things are, and they ate in their homes, they're probably ate in their homes and then invited the lost from next door in or down the road and said, oh, well, you haven't got any food this evening, come and eat with us. Or, oh, what? Well, we're working with you in the field today. Why don't you eat with us and our family? We haven't met with you for eight for a while. Come and eat with us. And then they're gaining the favour of all the people. And then it says, straight after that, and the Lord added to, the, to, the, to their number, the daily, those who are being saved. What I think we do in church is we devalue all these things about hospitality, loving and caring, and we hype up the value of miracles, wonders, prayer, all the rest of it which are really important, and I really, really value. Don't get me wrong on those things. I really value those things, but I don't want to devalue the rest that's in the Bible. You can't just say, let's filter through this, let's shift it through, shift out all the stuff which is unvaluable, let it drop to the side, and we just focus on the wonders and the apostles' teaching and the, and the really good stuff. Because actually, we miss then the favour of all the people, people being saved. What we're saying is, all of a sudden, we're saying the church has been missing something all of these years by actually just focusing on this circle of people who are church people, and then all of a sudden waking up to the fact that the lost are out here, how do we reach them? We do these functional outreaches. So then we function on, well, hold on, Paul preached in the marketplace, let's preach in the marketplace. 
So don't get me wrong, street outreach is not wrong. It's biblical as well. Street outreach is biblical. Paul did it. it but also, so is preaching in the synagogues. That's biblical. None of us do that, do we? Why? Because culturally it's not possible these days to do that. Jewish synagogues do not let Christians, as far as I'm aware, unless you are, unless you are really highly honoured by them, to go in and preach in their buildings. They just don't allow it. Because culturally we have shifted from this time. And you have to move with what is the current culture of, your, uh, of the place you live in. For example, you cannot preach the gospel on the street in some Islamic, some Islamic countries. Because if you do, uh, Islamic, state, Islamic state countries, because if you do, then you could be thrown into jail or whatever else. So what I'm saying is you've got to live with where your culture's at. And sometimes street outreach doesn't always work for us. I've done loads of street outreach and been um, involved in so much. I've done bus outreach. I've done tram outreach. I've done knocking on doors. I've done street outreach in a, in a marketplace. I've done, I've done street outreach on, on street corners. I've done, we even did diving in front of people. to, to So people, if we, we got fed up one day and people weren't stopping to, to, to talk to us about Jesus. So in the end, we two of us, we teamed up and one of us just dive on the floor. Some the person would just stop and go, oh, and then the other person would come and say, and start talking to them. We just tried everything to talk to people, to get them to stop, because sketchboards stopped working in the, 19, the early 1980s. Those aren't wrong. They're not, not biblical, but you have to work where God's working. And sometimes in the culture, you have to be aware of what is culturally acceptable. I don't believe that knocking on doors is extremely culturally acceptable in our, in our country uh, at this day at the moment. Although every one of you will have a, could, could have a story of where I knocked on a door and someone got saved. And, and that's possible. And there are always the, the odd ones. But sometimes it's not always good. The people who knock on, the problem is for us is that the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses have ruined it for us by constantly knocking, by constantly trying to, trying to drop their watchtower booklets in. And now people aren't really want, don't want to be disturbed on their doorsteps because these other groups have been doing it so much and, and really doing it in a way that's not very friendly. So culturally, our culture has re-stepped has re aside because of, that, because of that overworking of that form of... We don't have marketplaces that meet in the market anymore, or not many of them, where you can stand up and preach, whereas in those days you would have had room for speakers to stand and speak, and it would have been expected in a marketplace, and that's culturally what would have happened in those days. So you've got... Hyde Park Corner, whatever it is up in London, you can go and preach down there if you want. But to stand out here on the on the on, the, on this street and preach the gospel, there's not many people going to stand and listen to you. And sometimes we try it because we think it's going to make a difference. And actually, to be honest, people just feel you're weird. But I'm not against it, and I do like doing it. I do enjoy doing it. So I would, if someone said, "Do you want to go out with the team?" I'd say, "Yes, I'll go out with the team." Just don't see many people say it that way. Whereas relationally. Every single person that gets saved, that we saw saved in, every single person who's been saved in our Lancaster church, which has been going five years, came through the community. I would say almost 95% uh, of the people who came through the Kendall church have come through the community. There might be the odd one or two who just walked in on a Sunday um, and uh, through, in, through looking at the internet on a gospel Sunday and, uh, and got saved. So let's, let's look at loving community because, to be honest, the, the thing that, you, that you, I think you pointed out, Dennis, yeah. Dennis, um, a loving community, I think you pointed out maybe even this morning, is that the root of all of this. Unless you are a community that loves each other and cares about each other, you will not have love for the rest of the world. It just doesn't make sense. 
You can't just say, I'm going to love the lost, but not my friends in the church. It just doesn't work that way. And there is, when we look at Romans 12 and we say, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is massive for us. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. It goes on and on and on. And there's this massive sense in, in Romans 12, 9 to 16 of this is how we love each other. This is how we care. Not how you're doing this week. And then we bring on this, what we call the plastic face of Christianity. Someone who works, comes in on a Sunday morning. How are you doing, Raj? I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And then you go on to the next person. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. And actually, Raj's life is falling apart behind the scenes. But on a Sunday, you can't say that. And it's, what, it's almost like as Christians, we, we have this plastic face. We feel we've got to almost show that we're doing okay. Or, or, or in church, we're expected to, to be a certain way or look a certain way. And, and to be honest, that doesn't help build relationships where there is openness, trust, and clarity. And once, when you've got that flowing in your church, and, and then people come in and see that, they see something which is just so different, because it's, it's the love of Christ that brings that together. Not just any old relationships outside of church that can do that, because it's a love that's different. It's a love that's born of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. That's where it comes from. A love which is so much bigger than anybody out there could understand. So, it, we so we call it small, we call our groups small groups because we call them small groups of friends. And part of that reason is because we want to invite the lost in the, into our small groups. Now, our small groups isn't just a Wednesday night meeting. Let's just call it a Wednesday night meeting. But our, our groups meet different times during the day and all sorts of stuff that goes on. Um, but we call them small groups of friends because if we were to call it a, a life group or a life group, or something else, sorry, or anything with a weird name, and you say to someone in your workplace, oh, my community group's meeting this week, or our community group's going down the, down the pub, do you want to, sorry, not community group, life group is, is on down the pub, do you want to come down and join it? And they're like, a life group? Who are you? Whereas if you're like, oh yeah, I've got a, I'm just meeting a small group of friends down the pub, or we're a group of friends, because actually what, we're, what, what the small group of friends, it describes who we are. And what it is, is we aim for a group of friends who love each other and know each other in which we can, they can invite their friends to because they enjoy each other's company. So it ceases to be a functional meeting in that sense, but we have groups which are open to the lost. And all of a sudden, what we're doing is we're saying the walls of church are being opened out in every way that we can do it. All of our decisions, all of our names, all of our, what we think about, all the way we give notices on a Sunday, no in-jokes, no comments about people. Oh, if you, oh, there's, um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a barbecue on this Sunday. If you, anyone you want to go, make sure you let Dennis know. And of course, anyone who's visiting your church, hey, who, who's Dennis? Who's Dennis? And the number of times that still happens in our church, let alone in churches which aren't watching for that sort of thing. It's so, we, we are so in, inward. Actually, our, our Sunday mornings are public meetings. And if you're, if you're looking to see people come in there who are lost, who, just, who have just come in to visit you, just to have a look at you, then actually you want to be open to them so that they can understand what you're doing and who you are. So we build around this center, center of community and, and loving and relationships. And the whole point is, through these relationships, Christ Jesus is being displayed. That's what we aim for. So by the way you love each other is the way that Christ loves you. And through that, 
people can see Jesus Christ. He is on display. The glory of Christ is on display. So I've just put here, and which I said to you earlier, is, is uh, Sunday mornings are not real community because I don't believe you do, do have real community. It maintains a bit of community. You see people that, that you're in community with, and you can, and you, but it's really a tool. So it's like, okay, shall I meet you, Raj, for a cup of coffee? And then it's at that time in a cup of coffee when the two of you are sitting there and you're having, even if for a half an hour cup of coffee, what can transfer there between the two of you becomes a sense of community because then real love takes place. Now, it does happen a bit on Sunday. I'm not saying it's devoid of community. So Raj saying, I'm having a tough time this week. Can't speak about it now, but I'm having a tough time. Would you pray for me? That's community. Because actually that's showing that, that, that I love Raj. Raj is open for me to shit, to pray for him. And that, that sort of thing goes on. So, that's, so there's not, it's not devoid of community, but it's more to do with a tool of how community then works and relationships are outworked between us. Because meetings isn't our primary objectives in terms of community. Our primary objective in terms of community is to share the love of Christ. And that is so deep, so much more deep than what you can share in five or ten minutes in a crowded room where someone walks past you and I'm sharing my innermost thoughts with Raj on there. It's not, it's not helpful. Or someone else is queuing up because they want to speak to Raj on my shoulder, trying to attract his attention. And uh, I'm trying to share, share Raj about the fact that I'm just about to lose my house because my mortgage is up the spout. And it's just not helpful. It's just not real community. So the way we form our small groups as well, our groups of friends, is actually quite different to a lot of churches. So we do not do geographical groups because our aim really is to, is to provide um, a, a relationship setting where people can be brought into that and can, can enjoy themselves. So what we try and do is we try and aim for our groups to be um, not geographically placed because people don't live geographically these days. Their, their minds don't, that's an old thing from parish church. These days, people will get into the car. You look at, if you do a demographic of, your, of all the people that come to this church, it's just vroom, 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 because people get into the car and they move. So actually, one person in your church's best friend might be over here, your church might be here on a Sunday, and, and their best friend in the church might be right over here. And they don't mind. They'll travel. Sometimes they'll meet in the middle. Sometimes, but they'll just drive to each other's houses, and they don't mind. And so, so our thoughts of, oh, we'll, we'll get this geographical cluster going, it's just not really, people don't think that way these days anymore. The communications and travel is so much, much more bigger than that. It's a bit of a different way of thinking of things. So actually that's, when we're looking for who's going to lead our small groups, we're looking for a hospitality gifting. If all our people with hospitality lived in a small area, then we'd have them all there. We don't tell people what small groups to go to. We encourage them to find somewhere where they've got friends. So it's a really different way, a system of organising your small groups. We're looking for hospitality as the key to being a small group leader in an ideal world. Now you might not have enough people with a strong hospitality gifting, maybe you might need to develop and nurture that and grow that, but in an ideal world we're looking for a hospitality gifting for a small group leader and we're looking for people to go to small groups where their friends are, which might be, you might be lucky and live really close to your friends, but you might not. And because we're saying community and an accessible community for the lost, because as we mentioned this morning, people tend to be friends with, with people who they've got something in common with. W whatever that thing might be, it might be a common interest, it might be a common stage of life, it might be any number of things, mightn't it? But actually we're saying, because we want our groups to be able to be outreaching communities as our number one goal, 
that's for us, that's our number one goal in our small groups, for them to be able to be outreaching communities, then it has to, hospitality has to be the centre or it won't work. Um, and actually there has to be the space for people to be in a group with their friends, where, they've got, where they feel at home, because if, you, if I feel awkward with you, then my friends aren't going to find that easy to access either. So actually, no, it's a really, it, it's so fundamentally different how we organise our small groups now um, that it doesn't, so it, it doesn't really matter where they it live. Throws, it throws the rule book out the window in that sense. And what, 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 we, what we value the most jumps to the top. So it's the friendship element, which is the key element of it. So some of our, so say, say we have, um, uh, so we have this guy over here, and he is the hospitality gifting, but his house is so small he can't have a group in it. We're happy for him to, to go all the way over to the other side of Teesside and have it in somebody else's home that he really gets on with who's his friend. But it's the relational side which is the key element. It's the relational bit which is more important than anything else. Now for leadership, hospitality is the main gifting, but in terms of where the groups are placed, we don't really care where they are in the, in, in the, in the city or the town. Uh, we, what we're looking for, and we're not looking for an even dis, dis, uh, disperse, dispersal, we're looking for relational groups wherever they choose to meet, friendship groups. Now, some of those groups might choose to meet down the pub, and we're not averse to that. How they, how they outwork their Christian element into that as well, because remember, these are communities as well as outreaching communities, is, is something that they have to then work that out and we will talk to them and we'll work that through. So we're not, we wouldn't be pleased with just a group that just met down the pub and drank beer every, every week. That's not what we would call a, uh, a part of our community. It's not living a part of our community, that's just living a social element of a community, which is, which is uh, not really what our community is about. It's about living life, not just the pub bit of life. But going down the pub, we're happy for that. So no, we don't. And we don't try and do it geographically in any shape or form. And the other form, which is, so I've seen lots of different models in, in the past. I've seen it where elders choose different people to go into groups for whatever reason that is. Um, and I've seen it where they would choose, okay, we're gonna have eight people in this group. We're gonna have two really strong Christians, two Christians which are, are like being Christians for a fair amount of time, and then two that are just sort of landing really. And we've got two which are just sort of walked into the church and are a bit wobbly. And they just do this, this split of, of of Christian walk with God to make it something solid in the middle. And to be honest, that doesn't necessarily make a good group of friends which are then outreaching and then can invite, that anyone in that group wants to bring their friends to. And the same, we have found goes with age. So we are not looking for an age of group where everybody, it shows all relevant levels of age within that group. Now what we see in the Bible is that Christian family is all ages and we really want that in church but when we're looking at an outworking group of friends, if I, if, I'm, if I put Simon in a group with, I don't know, with these two guys, how old are you, Simon? Uh, 21. <laughs> 21 with this two. Or maybe five other guys, and he's got his 21-year-old mate who's, who's the lost. And actually what you have to think about is that whilst we understand why Simon could have a good time with these guys, because they're, they're family, and they, they think the same as Simon does, and they're going to have a great time together, the lost would walk in and, and, and just wouldn't get it. They just don't get family in the way that we get family. Family? My family's my mum and dad. That's my family. You have to demonstrate something so, that's so much more different than that. And the first, we're looking for somewhere where we can join people to a group which they can relate to. 
Now, actually, some groups of friends do cross age barriers, and we're really happy for that to happen as well. But what we want to do is we want those groups to find themselves rather than us as a church saying, okay, you two be with those two because we want a group in their 50s to be with their 40s to be with their 30s and a group from the 20s altogether. Rather than saying that, we just say, okay, you find where your friends are, where you'd be comfortable taking your friends. And some of our groups have got different flavors as well. So we're happy for some, for some to be more worshipful and others to be more outward reaching. We want all of them to be outward reaching. We want all of them to be worship, worshipful, but some will err on different groups. And some people are more happy being in other groups, some groups than others. And so that's the way we tend to, to be more relaxed about it. So the, the key to making that work is that at your small group isn't a meeting. So getting your friend engaged in your small group community isn't about bringing them to a Wednesday night meeting because your small group isn't a meeting. Church isn't about meetings. So actually your friend can engage in your small group community because your small group has to be prepared to come to your friend to come to your house where your friend can engage with them. And actually when your friend begins to make friends with, let's say, Jen, suddenly the barrier, the distance barrier, isn't really an issue anymore because actually she's Jen's friend and she doesn't mind making that journey to go to her friend's house. And that's really got to be the key. If we're thinking we have a meeting and it has to be in this place and at this time and this is our entry point for our friends, then it's not going to work. It has to be a cultural change. And the, we, the church, have to be really, really flexible to helping one another to engage and meet with the people in our communities. And then, it, it really, our coffee morning in Lancaster, uh, more people that c come to that, we move around to one another's homes, most people that come to that are not Christians. And in fact, it was at one stage, it was really... Uh, one lady was really sort of taking over organising it, <laughs> who's not part of the church, and we were like, ooh, is she coming to our coffee morning or are we going to hers? It's not a problem. It's okay. Actually, they were engaging in this community, um, and again, in Lancaster as well, we have it, people living in villages all around, um, in, you know, both in our city church and our rural church, we, still, we have this exact problem that you do, and actually we see it in lots of places that we go to, I guess perhaps particularly in the north, we've got these sorts of communities more and more and more. It means we have to be more flexible, but it can still work, even if our real friendships, so for you, it, the fact is that Jen is your friend and she doesn't live that near. You have to go and engage with her friends, she has to come and engage with your friends, and uh, eventually you can, because they, but not straight away. That's a bigger journey, isn't it? When your friends are Jen's friends, when she has a barbecue, your friends, because, they are her friends now, will go to her house at where they can engage with these other friends that she's got that are also part of your, your community. Uh, but it takes time. It takes time to build relationships and to do these things. Uh, and it takes really thinking of the bigger picture and out of the box. It's not a quick fix. But actually, if we're developing meaningful relationships, if Jen actually becomes friends with your friends, and if you actually become friends with her friends, then you've got a route into this whole community growing and being one bigger community. It is more difficult if you live further apart. That is the reality that we live in. If we live in Teesside, it's not even a place, is it? It's, such, it's just a description of a large area. 
It's a conurbation. Actually, this is the reality. One of the challenges that you're going to face is this, but it's totally surmountable. But it's not, not in one week. So what Joe's what jo saying to, to that problem particularly is, is, and to any of the problems that you probably will present, is that relationship trumps all. It works for us. It also works for the lost. Because once they have a group of friends, so we have friends, and this is not a weird thing, but we've got people who, who we're friends with in Kendall, and they have people who travel up from the south quite regularly as friends to see them. We're talking 250-mile trip one way to see them. And that's not every week, obviously, but they travel because it's relationship which draws them. And so the relationship is the thing that we're looking for. Relationship is the thing that we're working towards. Um, and it's good. It's why hospitality is the key, because if there isn't a hospitality gifting, then it, it's much, much harder to do. So another one of my friends, Jen, lives in Lancaster. Well, she's now moved to Blackpool to be part of that church plant that we talked about earlier. But actually, she is really, really engaged. She's never been part of King's Church in Kendall. But she's really, really engaged in our community because she just comes up. She just gets in her car and comes. It takes about half an hour all the time. So actually loads of my non-Christian friends, people from our, like a toddler group and various places, well, they all know Jen. She's their friend. They have an independent relationship with her now um, because... She's actually put the miles in to make it happen. But it does involve being prepared to travel church. And in the end, then, it will work both ways. Uh, my, another one, my other friend that's moved to Blackpool, she honestly has school mums. This, uh, I think this is really incredible. It astounds me. She has school mums now from when she lived in Salford that they still come and visit her in Blackpool. They're not saved, but the level of relationship is there. Actually, I think that's quite astounding that they come regularly, not just one, multitudes of them. It's literally unbelievable. She's got a much better gift in than me. She's much bigger in this area than me. She doesn't think she is, but she is. It's literally incredible. Every time I go there, they, there's school mums from Salford that are just coming across. It's going to take them an hour it's going to take them at least an hour, hour and a quarter to get to where she's living on the far side of Blackpool. They just do it because they're her real friends. Friendship really does trump all. It's important to the extent that when Joe and I lead a small group, what we believe is that what will bring somebody back the next day, the next week, on if we're talking about just the meetings, just the meeting side of things, whether it's a Wednesday, uh, on a Wednesday night meeting, is not necessarily the hospitality it is meeting with the living God. That's what we believe. So we would always do worship in our small groups. Some small groups don't always want to do worship. We'll talk about that as we get onto it. But actually, we have a belief that actually encountering Jesus Christ is everything. And so we'll get to it. So as we said, small groups aren't the be-all and end-all of everything. It's, not, it's, it's really the very small tip of the iceberg of what, what community is. So when, we, so, so when I say it's Wednesday nights, they'll not be all and end all of, of community. And um, so what we're saying is that the, 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 night meet, the, 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 the weekly meeting is just something which facilitates and helps facilitate groups of people, continue relationships at, at, at a reasonable level when we've all got really busy lives. But the reality of it is we should all be encouraged to meet with each other uh, in couples, in just meeting with one other person for coffees, for doing things during the week, and then that 
is where we're seeing real community. We're seeing people who live lives, not just live a Wednesday night meeting. So when people call them life groups, and then all they do is they meet to, to worship and, and read the Bible, that doesn't really always call, call, uh, seem to me to be a life group. When we're doing church, we would say that small groups don't, don't do community. We're not looking for our small groups to do community. They are community. They are. Now, you can have a community which doesn't community. Yeah, that does happen. And that's what you're not looking to have in church. That's what we don't want in church. We're looking for a community that loves and cares about each other, that is actually able to demonstrate something to the world of Jesus Christ and, and the love. Um, we talked about uh, what we, how we choose a small group. Joe talked about that. We, we, chart, we don't have, our small groups aren't pastoral, but they're, at, but they're the first level of pastoral care in our church. So we're not looking for small. We're not looking for our small group leaders to be uh, mini pastors that, that are able to lead worship, able to preach, that are able to pastor the, the small groups. We're not looking for that. We're looking for the gift of hospitality, who's been able to facilitate a group of friends who live Christ in their lives together. That's what we're looking for. So um, the outward looking side is a real battle, and uh, that can be very difficult to get a group to look outward and to be an outward looking group community. Um, we, we involve the lost in everything we can do, in the breaking down of barriers. So we have, often have the lost amongst us on a Sunday. We, we try and bring them in, into our small, our small groups. And when I say small groups, I'm not just talking about the meeting, into our communities, which is what Joe was explaining to you. That's what we do, and we love them amongst us. Sometimes they ask us, ask us difficult questions. I remember one of them uh, asked, us, asked whether he could, he, he could uh, do the bongos in, in, in the band. Uh, on a, on a, this, was, this was actually on a Wednesday night, no, not on a Sunday morning. And he wasn't a Christian. He said, I want to play the, I want to play the, the, the bongos, is, is that okay? And uh, I looked at him and I thought, you're not even a Christian, do you want to lead the group of people to the Lord? The Lord's people to the Lord? How can you do that? This is, this is not right. And, uh, and I looked at him and I just thought, what are you asking me? And what he's actually asking me, he's been in, in worship with us a good few times. He wasn't just trying to play the drums. He was been in worship with us a good few times. And what he was actually saying was, I want to, I want to be part of this. I want to be part. So what I wanted to do was to give him an entry level. So I allowed him to play the bongos in our worship time and as a non-Christian. And I'm happy for that. I wouldn't do it on a Sunday morning because I just, I just think that there's something about the corporate body gathering together and we're leading towards the, uh, uh, to Christ and being in, in, the, in the heavenly realms. But um, on, a, on, a, on, a sm on a small group community gathering, a small group gathering, community gathering, I would do that. And what he wanted to do is to want to be part of it. Three months later, he was saved. And it, it didn't make any difference then, did it? But um, just, the, just he looked around, and you could just see in his eyes, I want to be part of what you do. I don't really understand what you're doing, this, this singing and worship stuff, but I want to be part of it. I look at it, and I enjoy it, and I want to be part of it. And so we brought him into it. We, we've struggled sometimes. We had, I remember we had a couple that came into our church who were living together, not, not saved and living together. And um, uh, a lot of people in the church said, you do realize they're living together. What are you going to do anything about it? And so that was a struggle. And then a year and a half later, a year late, over a year later, and that was a difficult one to deal with. A year later, they got saved and they were still living together. And then people still come up to us and saying, what are you doing about this? How can you have two people who are Christians living together? And how we dealt with that was just, it was just massive. That was massive for us as a church, massive for us as a leadership team. Ultimately, what we did was we looked at that couple and said, we want this couple who do not know Jesus Christ, who have started to come amongst us, to be with us, standing next to us, worshipping Jesus Christ, saved as a married couple. And so what we said to them 
So we worked with them, we worked with them, we worked with them. Number one was to see them get saved. Once they were saved, we worked with them, worked, worked with them to, to see them getting married. But what I said to them is, I don't want you getting married because the church says you should be married. I want you to get married because you feel it's the right thing to do. And then we talked through why God wants people to be married. And then at, some, at one point, they went away on holiday, they came back, and she had an engagement ring on. It was just fantastic. So we worked grace in that. But it's a, it's a case of having to rework this whole sense of community and relationship in thinking, I'm going to have the lost amongst me. Am I looking for the immoral brother who should be cast out because he's sinning time and time again? No, I'm looking here at a couple who want to know, who want to be part of us, who are coming together to become Christians, who are going to be married, who are going to worship. And that's what we looked at. We wanted from here to here. And this is not someone who was, say, married in the church, was sinning in adultery, or it wasn't the couple. And do you know what? I wouldn't have done this in a, these guys were in their 60s. I wouldn't have done this in our student church in Lancaster. We've got, we're, we're over half the church's students. If two students did that, I would be, have to be on it quickly. Because you can't do that in a student church when you have couples sleeping together all over the place. But this was a couple we dealt with very differently. They're at a different stage of life. They've been together for many, many years. If we'd have said to them, you've got to separate until you're married, boom, they would have gone and wouldn't have got saved. So that dealing with the loss as they come amongst you was a very key and important thing. Um, we work with this, this whole thing about, um, um, you know, most churches... Will believe will will go, will go down this route of you may have heard this believe, behave and then belong to the church. Most churches will do it that way. So what they're looking for is to see non Christians believe in Jesus Christ. Then this they want to see them behave in a certain way, and then they can be part of the church. <clears throat> and most churches do that, even if they think they don't. So what they're looking for is their aim is come on, let's get people saved. Let's get people. Saved. Oh, once they're saved, we want to see them baptized before they can be a member. We want to see them participating in church. We want to see them do this or paying their type, whatever it is. They want to see them behave in a certain way and then they can become part of the church. What we're looking at is something totally different. So we're looking at belong to the church, then, then come to know Jesus Christ and then their behavior is changed by knowing and meeting Christ on the cross and the Holy Spirit which guides them from within and for understanding the teaching of the church. So we're looking at a totally different view. And it is very different. And the first one, we don't believe is correct. We believe the second one is correct because we see it in the Bible where it's, it's, we're looking at actually belonging. So Jesus Christ, he, rather than saying, I'm not going to come around your house, um, Zacchaeus, because, is it Zacchaeus the tax collector? I'm not coming around to your house because you're an unbeliever. You need to, actually, first you need to believe, then you need to behave properly, not nicking the taxes, and then... I'll come around your house. He's actually saying, I'll come around your house. You can belong in community to me. Then he's saved, and then he behaves after that by giving his money back. So he's then belonging, believing, behaving. It's a totally different way. And Jesus Christ did it differently. Why should we flip it some other way and try and get people to act differently? And unfortunately, our churches push it in that direction. Come on, we need to get our friends saved. We need to get our friends saved. Then we need to see them behave, and then they can come and become members of our church. There's no community that they can belong to and, until they've become, really become part of the church. And that's a very difficult thing to, 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 to work with. And, and even there's this whole sense of, so we changed everything. We're changing, trying to change everything. So we don't do social. Our, our small groups don't do socials anymore. We, I hate that phrase, social, or, or um, 
uh, yeah, social meeting, or, or we're going to do a, we're going to even doing a small group meeting, uh, a small group social, or a community social, or, or get together like that. Actually, our, our, our small groups, if they want to do, they do a barbecue or they have a party. They have a party. It's a group of friends who have a party, and that group of friends invites their friends, Christians and non-Christians. It's not. A, just that group of 10 people in that community group who, who choose to have a party and then they have three of their lost friends come along as well. Actually, that group of 10 people have a party and then they have all of their friends come along who are Christians and non-Christians. And all of a sudden, what we're saying is, actually, these people are doing life rather than putting on some sort of church event which is trying to get people in in some sort of unusual way. We're looking in, actually, people living life and then, therefore, forming relationships with people which are real and honest and open, not fake ones which you've come to this barbecue because it's a community group because we're trying to get you saved. Actually, come to my party. I want to get to know you. It becomes like that. And they meet your other friends who then get to know you. So we change, we're trying to change the language of it. John Stott, he's an absolutely fantastic guy. I love his, his, his commentaries. He's great. Um, he says we should have more. We should, set, we should start having... What is the word he used? We should start having um, hard meetings and have more soft meetings. So what he's talking about is have less like these sorts of meetings, hard meetings where it's organized by the church, and have more soft meetings where there's social meetings. Even the terminology is wrong. Bless him, he's got it wrong. How can I go, how can I sit and work in my office and say to my friends, we've got a soft meeting this week, do you want to come to our soft meeting? It just doesn't work, does it? Oh, okay, no, sorry, it's not... What's a soft meeting? Oh, what I mean is a small group social. A small group social? What's a, and do you know what I mean? Oh, no, no, we've got a party. Oh, I come, oh, yeah, I come to your party. And all of a sudden, actually, what you're talking about is we're not, we're not living in this Christian bubble, which actually actually puts barriers up for the lost who can't come into this Christian barrier, ba into this bubble, but we're actually saying, actually, we're going to live lives, actually live lives, live lives. And then we're going to actually live normal lives. Lies which the world understands and then want to be part of it. And then as they come in, as they form relationships with, with us, as they start to get to know us, Christ is revealed in us. Because we are, we carry the glory of Jesus Christ. That is within us, as I said this morning. The glory of Jesus Christ resides in us. There's not going to be any smashing, I don't know, lightning and flashing lights to them that Jesus Christ's glory shows in front of them. The glory of Jesus Christ sits before me now because Christ lives in you. The glory of Jesus Christ means that you guys love in a different way. You care in a different way. That's glorious. And that's glorious not because of you, but because Jesus Christ has changed you. And that is what affects the world. So we're trying to bring the world in to see that. And that's what, that's what this whole thing about trying to change things. Okay, so um, I know you, I've got your question. It's in my, my hand. Just two things that we, that we started uh, straight away with our with our small group, our small group of friends. Um, two things which we started, because what we understand is that if you've got groups that are starting now, which are practically find it very difficult to be outward looking, you've got your Christian friends and you don't really know many of the lost, is that we try, we try two things. Do you want to go from Joe? Or? Yes, so in our uh, midweek meeting, we found two things that we did that really helped to begin our groups to be outward looking. One thing was we started every time with an opportunity for people to share testimonies of uh, things that had happened that were outreaching to them during the week. The problem is that people think, oh, I haven't actually told anybody the gospel this week. I've got nothing to share. So what we have to do is we have to lower the bar. 
So I might share, I chatted with the school mum on the gate for five minutes after school this week. That's it. That's something worth celebrating. That's enough. Or I, I spoke to somebody at the bus stop. We just only really talked about the weather, but I see this person at, every week and it was sort of our first conversation that we've had. That's something worth celebrating. And we started to get people to share stories. Now, you're always going to have some goody two-shoes evangelist in your group who is going to have literally seen three people saved this week and has shared the gospel with 27. And uh, yeah, th That person exists, okay? What you do is you never let them share first. <laughs> never, never, ever. You end with them. <laughs> you think, oh, look, there they're sat. We'll start here and go around the room this way. <laughs> be smart <laughs> have some stories make sure you've got something to share yourself but but something really really simple and low bar that actually helps people to think oh just being nice and friendly carrying your neighbor's shopping into the house for them or we've got an elderly neighbor we open a lot of jars for her Actually, these things are worth celebrating. They're enlarging our community. They're helping people to see that being a witness isn't having to give you a four-point gospel. It isn't. Actually, it's being able to let people in and, and demonstrate your lives, uh, let people into your lives and let people get to know you a little bit more. Actually, it's really, really helpful in growing a culture. We're really strict about it as well, though. So we said it's not testimonies about how you became a Christian. It's not testimonies about how God healed you. It's testimonies about how you've connected with the loss this week. Yeah. That's what it is. Specifically That's what that. we do. Um, People like to drift into yes. other topics. Don't let and them. And we say, no, 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 no. This is what it's about. Not for now. And, so, and, in, and people love it. They love the little stories. They love hearing the little stories about how, oh, the guy opposite me, I've been getting on the train with him for the last 20 years and he smiled at me today. Or I said hello to him and he's like, he ignored me for the last two weeks when I've said hello. And this week he just said, he just nodded at me. And all of a sudden relationships start building and building and building. So then the other thing we do alongside that is we have prayer cards. We made little cards that could go in people's wallets. And the idea is that everybody in your group is allowed a maximum of three people that they are currently in relationship with in your local area, not Great Auntie Mildred, who we want to be saved. We do want Great Auntie Mildred to be saved, and we're not against praying for her in principle, but not on this list. Yeah, because we're looking for developing a pool of people that as a small group we can all be praying for, that we ha might have an opportunity to meet, that we actually all might have the opportunity to develop relationship with. And then people are allowed to share something about this person, not something private. No, no, because we are going to meet this person and they might not want us to know all the personal details of their life before they've even met us. But some kind of context, how you've met them or how you know them, something that helps people to connect, that it's not just a name, they're beginning to get some sense of this person. Um, and we would have these prayer cards and we'd update them regularly because actually people do come in and out of our lives. You might have more faith for one person than another, but actually people that we would as a small group pray with, pray for. Now, sometimes, well, in fact, inevitably, because Jesus answers our prayers, when we're praying for opportunities, we get these opportunities. When we're actually actively engaging in this process as a small group, these people become part of our lives. It is possible that you might be reviewing your prayer list one day and the person on your prayer list is now in the room. Do you know, people don't mind that you've been praying for them. 
they don't mind. Uh, it's actually not, not a problem. We feel like it might be a problem. Oh no, they're going to find out that we've prayed for them. People are really touched that you care about them enough to pray when they've had a bad leg or because you might share that thing. Oh, this person I work with, you know, has been struggling. Would, you know, would it be all right if we pray for them about that? And actually, it it's really works. Prayer actually works. It helps us to be more intentional. It helps us to actually... Uh, open up our eyes to looking for these opportunities when we're praying for them and actually these people then are the people that we're sharing testimonies about the fact that we've actually had a cup of tea with them and so actually it helps to engage your group it's just a couple of practical techniques really it helps to engage your group of friends with with looking outside of themselves yeah so people did get upset with us when people did get upset with us when we first did it because they wanted to do more than three they wanted to do more than three and we said no because sometimes you'll get someone who does about five or six uh, or seven or eight and one person who can only do one person and it's just not really fair and the other thing was they got upset when we couldn't they couldn't pray for someone who lived in Southport but actually we're looking at people to join the community and to people who we as, as a community can demonstrate the love of Christ so we changed it I just want to do a quick diagram to show you the way our small groups worked so so here would be our small group, of, and here we've got all Christians, and then we've got outside is the lost, who are friends, who we've befriended for our small groups. These are the people who are going to be on our cards. These are going to be people who are going to be in our testimonies. These are the people we invite to our parties, to our barbecues, to all those sorts of things. And, we, and what we're trying to do in, in terms of church, and this is, this is almost a traditional way of looking at it, we're trying to outreach from here to here to demonstrate Jesus Christ. What we try to do is we try to say, well, hold on, if we're, if we're breaking down these walls, we're trying to almost form little gates where they can come in. But the reality of it is, what we're trying to do more is get rid of this inner barrier altogether. So it's less about them and us, and it's more about us. So our friends are part of our community. Now, I've already talked to you about not being part of church, but actually, this whole group is our community. It's, our, it's us and our friends in there. And that is the lost and Christians together. So when we put on a party, people don't think, right, let's let's do a part, let's let's small group, let's do a party and invite our non-Christian friends. They're like, let's do a party and invite our friends. And all of a sudden the language changes. The trying to grab hold of people changes to become Christians. Now I do I, to become Christians. Now I do realise that actually what we're then looking for is entry points into becoming Christ, Christians. We're looking for how can these people become Christians. So in our churches, we always have entry points. And our entry points will be our people who, who will be able to share the gospel themselves personally with their friends, but we're not pushing them to try and do that every, every 10 minutes. And usually it's the ones who have got a bit of fantasy gifting who can do that and see people come through, which is not many in a church. In a church. But also what we're looking at is we, we preach the gospel once a month. We preach the gospel once a month. We don't, we're not aiming to preach it every week. We preach it once a month. It's always the first Sunday of a month, we preach the gospel. And we say to people, don't bring your people into church. That's not our aim. Our aim isn't to try and drag people into the church. Our aim is to bring the church to the people. But then once we're in there mixing with them, if you want them to hear the gospel, if you want to bring them into hearing distance of the gospel and see Jesus Christ, come and listen to the gospel being preached. Now, why we do it on once a month is because we believe if you squeeze it into every meeting, you get a two-minute gospel in there, the lost are going to just vroom, straight over their heads. What we have is a whole meeting where the whole preach is all orientated towards the gospel. And our people love it. They love to hear the gospel. 
once a month is just fantastic for them. So we have 35 minutes of a, of a full gospel message which comes in all different shapes and sizes and there's always an altar call at the end. And everyone we see saved from there actually comes from our community. We very rarely see someone walking off the street who's not a Christian and come in and sit amongst us. So I'm just saying there are entry points to becoming a Christian. The biggest entry point for us is we always make sure. And we started about eight, nine years ago doing this and we said, and I, um, we made a vow that even if we don't get any non-Christians, we're still going to preach the gospel in that Sunday. We're still going to do an altar call. And we've done it sometimes when people have given their lives to Christ who we thought were Christians anyway. So it's just worth doing every Sunday, every, every month anyway. So we do it every month and we've just seen some amazing things take place. And so that's, an, that's a key entry point for us is this whole focus of the gospel in, a, in an un, un, uncomplicated manner. But we link it to things like films. We link it to things like stories. We just bring it in a way that is really understandable in the same way that Paul did when he went to the Areopagus, the Greek place, and he's using Greek philosophy. When he went to the synagogue and he uses the Old Testament, when he goes into the marketplace and he talks to the farmers and he says it's, it's all about rain and sun that God provides you. He talks about things that will relate to the people. We talk about things that relate to the lost culture of today with our gospel. We put it in there. So the message takes a different form every time, but the gospel message is exactly the same. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, hell. If you do believe, it's heaven. And it's the same message every time. Not in those words. So what I'm saying is, this is a whole culture shift to breaking down the difference between a them and us culture. And what we're saying is we're very inclusive, we're very connected. So just to sort of... Rob might have something else to say. We're slightly over time now, but just to close, just wanted to give you an example of some friends of ours. So one of my friends is pregnant, just as we're beginning to plant the church in Lancaster. Uh, we haven't got any uh, public, public meetings yet. She goes to an antenatal appointment. She meets a woman there who is also pregnant, oddly enough. She bumps into that. She chats to her a little bit, but then she bumps into her again in the car park. And she just feels prompted by the Lord to not miss the opportunity. So she invites this woman who's on maternity leave to come to our coffee morning. She's on maternity leave. She doesn't really know many people, have many friends who are around during the day, so she says yes. She comes. She comes and she comes and she comes and makes friends with us through coming to coffee morning. People invite her and her husband around for dinner. They invite other people around for dinner. Their friendships within our church community begin to expand. They are asking questions about what we're, how we all know each other. Well, we all know each other because we're here planting a church. Oh, what does that mean? Lots of opportunities for discussion. So then we're about to launch our public Sundays, so we are leafleting. So they say, oh, we'll help you. So there they are, sticking sweeters onto leaflets. We believe in sticking sweeters onto leaflets. People take them if they've got a sweetie on them. To, <laughs> to advertise our launch or our carol service, probably our carol service, to advertise our carol service. And they're there, on the streets, giving out invitations to people for us. Why? Because they're our friends. They want to help us in our endeavour. Because they've developed a real relationship with us. They're in fact so much our friends that they come on our weekends away with us as a church. And they're so not used to coming around for dinner with us that they come on a Wednesday night when we're having our small group meeting. Because they're part of this small group. Now, sometimes they might at first just stay for dinner. 
was we usually would eat together and then they might leave but sometimes they might stay for worship and they might stay and hear what we're talking about about the words eventually they get saved because they're in relationship with this community of people. They've seen something different in our lives. They've got lots of opportunities to discuss this stuff that's going on. They're hearing the gospel because it's normal for them to come and engage in the things that we're doing because they're our friends. Actually, it really, really works. That's one story of one family. Actually, what it was was an invitation to coffee that's what opened up the door, and then actually becoming friends with a community of people. It really, really works. Actually, do you know, people are lonely. They do want friends. They want relationship. It, it, it's actually a lot easier than you think to make friends, because actually people don't have them, and they do want them. Uh, by being friendly, actually we take much more than just ourselves with us, don't we? We take Jesus. And, and in the end, he speaks and reaches out to their hearts. Yeah, so the quick answer to your question is, um, as Joe just, just, has just note, uh, said, is that our small groups will do worship. They will do um, uh, a Bible study uh, of some sort. But what we don't, so what we've seen in the past is that a bit of outreach, either it's either like a one-minute bit at the end or it just gets missed, it becomes a massive portion of what we do. And that because it's our meeting, though, we're not... We're not, we want to do Christian things. We want to do We're not. We are Christians. That's who we are. We're not going to just not do that sort of stuff. So we do it. Um, but actually, what Joe said about actually our small group is a group of friends. And that group of friends is as much on a Saturday night, a Sunday night, a Wednesday night, they're still the same group of friends. And that's who they are. So actually, you can do, you can socialize with the lost. You can build friendships with the lost outside of that meeting. You don't have to bring them into the Bible study to do that. But sometimes we do get them involved in, in that Wednesday night meeting. And sometimes we will make allowances for the fact that they are there. So what we won't do is we won't dumb down the meeting. But what we might do is, is something like we'll get we'll make sure that someone has been clued up to know actually we might have some of the lost amongst us today, can you give your testimony? And we'll make sure we've got like a half an hour space for one or more people to bring a test, the testimony of how they became a Christian. So what we're saying is we want the gospel preached on that night as well. Because within that testimony we say, bring your testimony, but make sure the gospel's in there as well about how you came to know Jesus and what that meant and how, you know, what, how, that, became, how that actually happened, him dying, his resurrection, da 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 and, and so that way the person's sitting there and they're going to hear it. They might not respond but they hear it anyway. And what we don't do is we don't get them to stand in front of them, the lost person, say, and say the testimony. We make sure that that person who's given the testimony is speaking to everybody in the room. Because sometimes you just, if you don't warn people to do that, they just focus on the lost person because they know that's the one they want to hear it. And it's just so embarrassing because the lost person knows it, everybody else in the room know, knows it except the person doing the talk. So we do make allowances for that because we, we, we believe actually the gospel is so important, so we bring that in. Um, but we will still do our worship. And as, as I said earlier, worship is so key for us. We do do Bible studies, but we will not, we will not compromise. Like we won't compromise on hospitality on a Sunday. We won't compromise on an outward-looking community on our Wednesday night meeting because um, that can sometimes help facilitate what goes on in the rest of the week and help um, fuel that and make sure things are happening during the rest of the week. The so. trick is remembering that your small group isn't a meeting which I know we've said it a lot, church isn't a meeting, your small group isn't a meeting. It has to be much more than that. If your only points of contact as a community are on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night, then you're going to really, really struggle to be an effective outreaching community. It has to impact more of your life than that to work. And that's really where the key is. So just to finish then, we're looking at a whole culture change. So a different way of thinking that actually includes the lost within everything you do. 
as much as possible. The, the only meetings that the loss don't come to are our, our PITS team, which is pastoral intervention team, and our elders meetings. But they're invited to our prayer meetings, they're invited to every other meeting that we have in the church because uh, we want them to be there. It's usually only the leaders or elders meetings that we won't. So I wouldn't invite them to something like this because they can sometimes feel hit upon if it's like they're hearing about how you're trying to reach them or, or that. But actually, do you know what? Some lost would sit in here and go, that's really refreshing. You want to know me for being a friend rather than just to see me scouts as a, as a slave, uh, sorry, saved and a scout. And slaves, yeah. Sometimes they all feel like that. So it's a, it's a different way of looking, but ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to produce this, where we've got an inclusive church where Christ can be demonstrated. It's all about, it's not about just a, a loving community where we can love the lost. It's about putting Jesus Christ on show, the glory of Jesus Christ that the world can see. Because actually, the rest of the church out there is not doing it. The government's not doing it. Education department's not doing it. No one's going to find out Jesus Christ and see the glory of Jesus Christ unless we do it. Thank <laughs> you.